So I want to talk to you this morning about some things that hold us back from serving, that uh, keep us from reaching our full potential in God. And it's not just about coming to church and sitting in a seat and hearing a word, but God wants to use your testimony, your life, your gifts, and your talents to serve others that they could come to know him as Lord and Savior. But in order to do that, there's some things we have to look at in our life. We have to take a self-inventory of ourselves, where we're at as church leaders, as individuals, and as the body of Christ. Because how can we reach out to a lost and hurting world on the outside that needs to hear the message of hope, forgiveness, and freedom as if individuals in the church were not, were not experiencing those things in our own life? So I want to talk to you this morning about cracks in our plates. And I was at a restaurant not too long ago, it's been some time ago, and I was ordering some food, and I was sitting up front, and I was waiting on the food, and the Lord just began to kind of give me some thoughts in the mind as I, uh, I saw the waiters and the cooks and the store owner. And so he kind of gave me these thoughts, and I kind of put it together as a parable. So I want to share that with you today. So there's a rich businessman, and he goes walking through the city one day. And as he walks through the city, he sees the people. He sees the needs of the people. That the people are hurting. That they're hungry. And they need some things in their life to sustain them. That would give them hope. And so he goes and he opens up a restaurant. And he hires a master chef. And he hires a head waiter. And the day comes, they open up the restaurant. And the people begin to come in and fill up the house. Because they're hungry. And they're in need. And so the master chef said, the food's ready. So the head waiter grabs the dishes, he puts the food on it, and he begins to walk out to serve the people. But as he walks out, he notices the soup is dripping through the the bowl to his hands. And some of the food on the plate is falling off onto the ground. And pretty soon he notices that there's cracks all in the plates and in the bowl. And all the soup is dripped through onto the ground. And even the food has fell off because of cracks. And the food never got to the people it needed to get to because of the cracks in the plates. And the businessman, the head waiter, and the master chef was greatly saddened because the people never got what was intended for them. Father, I just thank you this morning. I ask that your spirit, Lord, would speak to your people. Father, I bind every hindering spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that's above every name. And Father, you said, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And I would just ask this morning, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of your people. And I give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. So the rich businessman is God the Father. And he saw the needs of the people. He saw that they were hurting, that they needed life. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the master chef, the bread of life, the living water, that we could have life. And the Holy Spirit, he grabs the dishes, which is you and me, to serve the message of Jesus Christ to a hurting and dying and lost world, that they can know his hope, that they can know his peace, that they can know his forgiveness, and that there's healing in his blood. But because of the issues in our lives, because of hurts, because of pain, because maybe of trying to measure yourself up to someone else, or your self-worth, the way you see your things, the things you've gone through in your life, insecurities, cracks form in our plates. 
And because of those cracks, the message that God wants to use us to serve to others, that they can know his love and his grace and his mercy, it falls through the ground and it never reaches the people that it needs to get to because of cracks in our lives. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, the story is about King David and a man called Mephibosheth, which is a tongue twister. Jonathan is the son of the first king of Israel, King Saul. And Jonathan is the crown prince to the throne of Israel. But God rejected his father Saul as being king over Israel, and he chose another one. He anointed David to succeed him. And Jonathan recognized the anointing of David's life to be king, and rather be jealous of David, Jonathan affirms the anointing of God on David's life and supports it. Even though that support opened up Jonathan to the uh, violent anger and wrath of his father, or his father King Saul. But Jonathan's only request was that David would treat his family with kindness after the Lord had given him the throne. And Mephibosheth, this guy Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, and he is the last in the line of the kings. So I'm just going to read a quick overview of this real quick to kind of set where I'm going here. So now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called to him David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Mekur, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. And the king sent and brought him out of the house of Mekur, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here's your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the lands of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat at my table continually. Then he bowed himself, and he said, What should your servant that, um, what is your servant that I should look upon such a dead dog as I? See, there's a he's looking at him as his own self as no value that he's a dead dog. So this is a great picture here in chapter 9 about mankind because we're Mephibosheth. We were lame, crippled from a fall way back in the beginning. And it says right here, it says that uh, Mephibosheth's living in a place called Lodabar. In translation, it's a place of no pasture, no green grass, no substance. Another place, it's a place of nothingness. And mankind outside of God, the Spirit of God is living in a place of nothingness. But because of a covenant between Jonathan and David, he was showed kindness. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me and you, mankind has showed kindness. There's three wrong things Mephibosheth, <laughs> I told you that's a tongue twister, looks at to get a sense of self-worth. And number one, he looks at his circumstances. He's living in a place called nothingness. He's lame in his feet. He sees himself as a dead dog, and he has no family anymore. And the enemy wants you to see yourself in your circumstances, living in a place that seems like nothingness, lame, good for nothing, dead with no value. Orphaned, with no family, and that no one cares for you. And as we believe these things, cracks begin to form in our lives. And any time the enemy can get you to focus on your circumstances, where you're at, you get your eyes off where God wants to take you. Number two, he looks at the situation. He's the grandson of King Saul, who tried to have David killed. And now David is king of Israel. So check this out. His situation is that he's lame, he's crippled, 
He's in a place of nothingness. He's the last in the line. And in those days, when a king would take the throne, they would go and wipe out everybody that had anything or any chance to reclaim the throne. They'd wipe out, kill family. They would kill their, their servants, everybody. Keep anyone from having a legitimate claim to the throne. So here he is. He's thinking, okay, I'm the last in the line of Saul. I'm crippled, and now I'm being summoned to the house of, of, of King David. He's thinking, it's over. My life is done. And the enemy wants you to look at your situation like it's dark and grim and that there's no hope and no way out, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. The enemy wants you to take your eyes and focus on your situation and take your eyes off of God, but Mephibosheth didn't realize that God was already working in the situation. Mephibosheth thought his life was over, and Jesus says in John 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, no matter the situation. So the third thing he looks at is that he looks at the way people see himself. He sees himself as crippled. He sees himself as a person that doesn't measure up. He sees himself as a person with no value. He sees himself as a, a person with no place in the presence of the king. And anytime you look at yourself through the eyes of people, cracks will form in your life. Because the world says, you got to look like this. you got to be like this. And you got to measure up to this to have any kind of success or value in your life. And because of that, we look at ourselves like Mephibosheth, a dead dog spiritually, lame, with no value. And because of our past, of our hang-ups, of our situations we find ourselves in, we think uh, that we have no place at God's table. The world looks at the outside guys, but God sees the heart. See, God told Saul to go anoint a new king. So he goes to the house of Jesse, and all these sons line up, and they look like they should be king. And Jesse didn't even even look at his own son David to see that he had any value. He overlooked his own son. But where the world overlooks a shepherd boy, God sees a king. Where the world sees you as a cripple, God sees you as a mighty warrior. Where the world sees you of no value, God sees you as a pearl of great price. Where the world sees you having no place in the presence of the king, God says, I have a place for you at my table. See, church, because it's not about what I bring to the table. It's not about my gifts, my talents, what I can bring to the church. Just like Mephibosheth didn't have anything he could bring to the house of David. It was because of a covenant between Jonathan and David that he had a place at the king's table. And it's because of Jesus Christ, him dying on the cross, shedding his blood, gives me and you a place at his table. It's nothing I can do. It's nothing I can bring. It's none of my gifts. It's none of my talents. It's not how much money I have or how good I can play the guitar or anything like that. It's because of Jesus Christ, the covenant, the new covenant, the blood covenant, to shed his blood that died on the cross for you and for me that I can have a place at the Father's table. It's nothing that any of us could ever do. The Bible says my righteousness is as filthy rags. And that word there means bloody minstrel rags. You want to know what your righteousness looks like? bloody rags before the Lord. There is nothing you can do to get yourself a place at the table. It's because of what Jesus did for you Amen. that you have a place at the table. The second thing we look at that gives us cracks in our plates is tattoos. Tattoos of the enemy in our mind, mindsets. The tactic of the devil is to lure you into captivity, to get you to accept condemnation and guilt and shame so that you hear his voice and not the voice of God. An enemy will constantly remind you of your failures, putting tattoos in your mind. The enemy loves to tattoo your mind with failure. 
The enemy will tell you you're beyond hope and beyond help. The enemy tells you you're a loser. The enemy tells you you're no good. Because your father was an alcoholic, you'll be an alcoholic. The enemy loves to permanently tattoo your mind with thoughts. You will always be an addict. You're not worth anything. You're worthless. Why should anyone love you or care for you? You're the reason you were abused growing up. It's something you did. You caused it. There's something wrong with you. And that's the only type of guy you'll ever have is losers because that's what you are and that's how God sees you. And the whole time we listen to this, the enemy is putting permanent ink marks in our mind and our thoughts that we're worthless, we're no good, and we have no value. I have family members that are tattooed and friends that see themselves in a place that they're no good, they have no value, that their relationships will always be with people that are at the bottom of the barrel. Because that's where the enemies tattoo their mind. This is all you're worth. This is, this is as good as it's going to get for you. And this is the way your life's going to be. And he tattoos our minds. And he gets you to accept it and believe it. And that's the type of life you live. Tattooed. No value. I'm no good. I'm not worth anything. Proverbs says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The Amplified says, For as a man thinks within himself, so is he. But you don't have to be tattooed. Jesus heals the hearts. He heals minds, and he still sets captives free. In 1886, a man by the name of Walter George broke the world record in running a mile. He ran it in four minutes, 12 and three-quarter seconds. In 1923, a man broke that record by the name of Pablo, and he ran it in four minutes and 10 seconds. It took 36 years to shave off two seconds. Pablo held that record for 31 years, and no one could beat it. But in the 1930s, two men were living in Middlesex, England, and both of them were diagnosed with the same disease in the same hospital by the same doctor. And that disease said, you'll never walk. You'll be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of your life. One of the young men accepted what the doctors told him, and he never walked. And the other man did not accept what the doctors told him, and he made this statement, not only will I walk, I'll run. And it was a long process, many of thousands of hours to get out of a wheelchair that failed, but he kept on trying, and he kept on trying, and finally, amazingly, his body unlocked, and his body began to walk, and he began to run. And on May 6, 1954, in Oxford, England, history records that Roger Bannister set a new world record by running a mile in 3 minutes, 59.4 seconds. And when he did that, something changed in the mind of all the other athletes in the world. They were tattooed with their mind that it could never be done. It could never happen. It's impossible to break a four-minute mile. But when Roger Bannister did it, it changed. They had faith. They, they could believe that it could be done. And in the next four years, 25 runners broke the four-minute mile. And in 1999, a man set a new record by running a mile in three minutes, 43.13 seconds, smoking fast. So here's the rest of the story. They went back and re-examined Roger Bannister. And they said, you definitely have a disease or had a disease that would keep you in a wheelchair. But you didn't receive it in your mind. You didn't accept it. And not only did you get out of the wheelchair, but you became the fastest man in the world. They went back and re-examined the other man in the wheelchair. And they said this to him. We're so sorry. You were misdiagnosed. You never even had the disease. But because of a permanent thought in his mind, an ink mark, the enemy says, you're crippled, 
and you're going to stay in a wheelchair the rest of your life. He received it in his spirit, he believed it, and he stayed in the wheelchair. The other man didn't even have the disease, and he didn't believe it. He wouldn't receive it, and he got up and became the fastest man in the world. The enemy wants to tattoo our minds, guys. There's something about the renewing of the mind. Don't be overcome by the enemy's tattoos on your mind. He'll lie to you. He'll tell you you're no good. He'll tell you you're worthless. He'll tell you you'll never get out of the bondage you're in. But 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. All old things have passed away, and all things have become new. The Word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you, Lord. The process of removing a tattoo is called laser removal. And it's light shining on the skin, but the light shining on the skin, if it was on a surface, would burn up the skin. It takes light from the outside and the blood underneath to remove a tattoo. The two working in the, together removes a tattoo. And the Bible says, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God getting in your mind, getting in your spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ on the inside of your life, working together, grace and mercy, the blood working on my mind can remove every tattoo, every lie that the enemy has told you that holds you back to keep you down. It's the blood of Jesus Christ in your life and the word of God renewing, transforming your mind and your spirit. It's so important to get in God's word because the enemy wants to tattoo you with things that just tell you that your life is worthless. You can never do anything, and that's his job. But it's our job to get in God's word and let it renew, 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 and transform our bodies, our minds, our spirits. Romans 12 and 2 says, And and be not conformed to this world. Here it is. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transforming, renewing of the mind, guys. Renewing of the mind. The third thing that causes cracks in our plates is measuring ourselves to others. I think about a metronome. Metronome is a mechanical device that indicates the exact tempo of a piece of music by producing a clicking sound from a pendulum with an adjustable swing. There is a measure of time between these clicks. And the Bible tells us in Rome that our Romans, God has dealt to each man a measure of faith. We have a measure of faith and talents. And we're all to work and serve within that measure of faith and talents. But unfortunately, sometimes we look at others and compare ourselves to them. We try to measure up to others. And so there's this metronome. It's got this little metal piece, and you slide it up, and it springs real wide. Tick, 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 tick. You slide it down, and it's real short. Tick, 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 tick. And that's like our lives. That's like the gifts and talents God puts in our lives. Some of us swing really wide. We have lots of gifts and talents. Tick, tick. And then some of us are just right here, one, one or two gifts. But when we try to measure our, our gifts, our talents compared to someone else, you're always going to get cracks in your life because you're trying to measure yourself up to someone else that God's put in their life. And God just wants you to focus on the gifts and talents he's put in your life and use them. Amen. See, the Bible tells us in uh, Matthew 25, I believe it is, about there was a guy that had five talents, a guy that had two talents, and a guy that had one talent. And it says 
They were given these things according to their several abilities. And that word several there also means talent, talent abilities. They already had abilities. They already had a talent ability. The guy that had five already had an, a, a talent ability to do something with those five things that he was given. The guy that had two had an ability to do the th- something with those two talents. The guy that was given one had an ability, he had an, a talent to do something with the one thing he was given. But maybe he got caught up in measurement. Maybe he got caught up measuring himself to the guy that had the five talents. This guy's a great guitar player. He can sing. He can preach. He can, uh, he can uh, do all kinds of things. He can play the kazoo. And he got caught up. And maybe he said, well, man, that's just, my gift just is weak in comparison. And maybe he said the same thing to the guy here that was, had the two talents. And so he goes and he buries it because it didn't measure up in his eyes compared maybe to what the other guys had. And guys, we can't measure our gifts and our abilities compared to someone else. God just wants you to be faithful working in your area of measurement. Somebody might have a huge area of measurement, but God just wants you to be faithful working in yours. The guy with the one, he said he went and he buried it. How do we bury our talents? In church, this is how we bury them. We sit on them. And God doesn't want you sitting on them because you have gifts. You have abilities. You have talents that will grow the ministry, grow the church, grow yourself by stepping out and serving. And he wants you to serve. There was a man in 1934 that came into the back door of a church. And there was a minister speaking. I believe his last name was Ham. And he didn't have a mega ministry. He didn't have a church of 5,000 or 6,000. He didn't have an awesome worship team. But he was just working within that measure God gave him of preaching the word, serving God. And a young man came up and gave his heart to the Lord under this guy's ministry. And maybe this guy's ministry compared to other people wasn't that huge. But that man that came up and got saved became one of the greatest evangelists of the 20th century. His name was Billy Graham. And what if that guy didn't use his gift because he felt like he didn't measure up to other ministries? One of the greatest evangelists would have maybe never heard the word, maybe never got another chance. But he used his gift and his talent. He used the measure that God had given to work. That's what God's wanting from you guys, to use your gifts and talents. Whether it's just teaching a Bible study to one guy on a Wednesday night back in the coffee shop. If that's God all requires of you, then just be faithful in doing that. My sister started a ministry here a while back called CR, and she asked me to be a part of it. And the first thing that happened in my mind was, you don't measure up. You got nothing in common with anybody in that, Shannon. How could I go in and lead a men's uh, life issues group when I've never been hooked on drugs? I've never been hooked on alcohol. I didn't come from an abusive relationship or an abusive home. I got nothing. What can you give, Jeff, to those guys? What can you serve there? Their measurement of their life scope of the things they've been through has been like this, and your life's like this. What do you got? And it was beating me up. And then the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Jeff, it's not about where you've been. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you've been hooked on, but it's about who you know, and you know me, Jesus Christ. I'm the testimony. I'm the one. I'm the one that sets free. I'm the one that delivers. I'm the one that gives hope. You know me. That's the testimony. It's not about where you've been, your past, your gifts, your talents. It's about Jesus Christ and where you're going. 
And so in that class now, with those guys that come in, their life issues may be like this, and mine just like this. But what I can do, because I know Jesus Christ, I can grab their hands in the beginning of class and at the end of class, and I can say, Lord, you know the situation. Lord, you know where they've been. Father, I pray a blessing on their life. Lord, touch them, meet the need, whatever they're going through, and I can do that. And guess what? That's God. All God requires me to do is that measurement right there. It's not about trying to line up to someone else's measurement, but just doing what God's called me to do, walking within that measurement. And that's what he wants for you, church. Some of you here got gifts and abilities and talents that you don't even know yet, that God's just wanting to birth in you. And this is the place to use them. This is the place to learn to serve. This is a place to let God mold you and shape you that we can go outside in the freedom of the Spirit and we can witness the people and say, come in, God's got something for you here. He wants to use you. He loves you so very much. So in closing, don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your situation. Don't look at yourself as the way people see you. Don't let the enemy tattoo your mind. And don't measure yourself to others, guys. You're special in God's eyes. You're beautiful. You're worth more than many sparrows. And it's not about what you have to offer. It's about what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to close with this. If the worship teams want to come, they can come. The Lord loves you so much, and he will pursue you. He will chase after you. If you'll take one step, he'll take two. The Bible says he loves you so much that he's willing to leave that which is found to go after that which is lost. And there was a fireman in New York City that grew up. And he became chief. And he had a son. And his son followed in his footsteps. Because growing up around a, a father that's probably driving, you know, those big old trucks and stuff, that's cool. And, and so he followed in his dad's footsteps. And then 9-11 happened, and that retired chief, I can't imagine what his heart was feeling, or feeling when he saw those towers come down, knowing that his son was one of the first ones in those towers. And he went to the site, and they couldn't find his son. And not only was his whole son's crew wiped out, but many fire station crews were wiped out that day. He goes back a week later, and there's still no sign of his son. He goes back two weeks later. There's no sign of his son. He goes back three weeks, a month, a month and a half, and there's no sign of his son. He goes back two months, and there's no sign of his son. Two and a half months, three months, three and a half months, almost four months, and the chief gets a call one day. We found your son. And the chief goes down to the site. And as he walks out on the site, an American flag stretched over a gurney. And as he walks up to that gurney, he kneels down, and he says, we found you, son. We found you. And as he grabs the gurney, and the firemen grab the other side, and they begin to walk his son out. As they pass by the other firefighters, you can hear the chief saying, I got you, son. I got you, son. And I'm here to tell you today, church, no matter the situations you're going through, no matter what pressure the enemy's trying to crush you with under your life, Jesus is here and he's saying, I got you, son. I got you, daughter. I got you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the enemy is trying to put in your life to keep you in a place of non-service, 
He wants you to be full service. And he wants you to come to him because he's saying, I got you. And I love you. And I died for you. You are that pearl of great price. So with every head bowed, first of all, if there's someone here that don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that'd be the best decision you ever make in your life. Because it's not about religion. It's not about church, but it's about a relationship with God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the Lord and you'd like to know Him, if you just slip your hand up, I'll say a prayer and you can repeat it after me. If you're here today and you've been struggling with enemy tattoo in your mind, trying to mess with your life about measuring up, that you're worth nothing, that people see you as nothing, I want to pray with you because God says you're beautiful. You're worth more than many sparrows. And he wants you to be free from every situation, everything in your life that would hold you back from the goodness of God. Because he died for you. He shed his blood for you. The Bible says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. That joy is seeing you saved, seeing you set free, seeing you speaking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing that message with someone else that Jesus loves you, he paid a price for you, and he wants to see you delivered and set free from every hang-up in your life. And so if you're here today, I'd like to pray with you and just agree with you that the Lord would meet the need in your life.